You're listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. Our prayers that this encourages you in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Joseph. You guys can be seated. You go, man. Appreciate it. Well, good morning. How's everybody? Fantastic. My name is Hank Atchison. I am one of the pastors here at Covenant Church. Um, and so on behalf of Covenant Church, we'd like to welcome you all here this morning. Um, we're glad that you're here, and we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I, I don't have any gimmicks. We don't have any gimmicks, and we don't have any plan for you this morning. Um, we've gathered this morning, as we do every Sunday morning, to celebrate the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Um, we, we take very seriously the gospel. Uh, we take very seriously God's word, and it's something that we and uh, desire to open weekly and to walk through weekly. And, and so if you're new with us or this is your first time, I hope that you feel welcome. I hope that you found a seat. Um, and so if you need a seat, there are a couple here or there. And I would just say, you guys, you early birds, if somebody does happen to walk in, because surely there's somebody in this community that has had a morning, all right? maybe trying to get the kids ready. If you see somebody walk in and you are a covenant partner, if you wouldn't mind, just hop up and usher them right to your seat. Or if you have one inside of you, you could just slide in a little bit. And so if you have, if, if you have your Bible this morning, um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And as, as you're turning there, um, you might want to stop around Acts chapter 17 because I'm going to try to uh, set the stage for you in regards to the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection for us as, as Christians. And then we're going to take the majority of our time in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so if, if you, um, as you're turning there, if you don't mind, I, I would like to ask for the Lord's help this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for another day. And Lord, thank you that this morning... And really every morning on Sunday and in between Sundays, we can wake up with hope. Not because of anything that we've done, but because you're alive. And Father, this morning we have set aside in the, in the Christian calendar to, to celebrate the fact that you're alive. The historical reality that you are a living God. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you are glorified above all else. Father, I pray that the redeemed, those that have trusted you, that are in this place, would say so. Through song, through listening and understanding of your word, and also as we worship you through baptism. And Father, if there is one in this place this morning that is seeking and searching um, for truth or one that may be indifferent to it or, or just not care or just have a lot of questions or whatever the case may be, Lord, thankfully you know the hearts um, of every single person that's here. And so, Lord, I pray that your son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted. And as that happens, that you would be kind enough and gracious enough to draw men and women and children to yourself. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Christianity is unique. It's not just a faith system or a list of rules for healthy living. 
Um, Christianity is not a self-help program that's based on a friendly relationship with God. Um, Christianity is infinitely more than those things. Christianity is an epic story. But what I'd like to argue at the beginning of this message for the next 10 minutes is that it's not just an epic story in the sense of because I think it's true or because you think it's true. It's an epic story because it is actually true. Um, Christianity and specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ is historically verifiable. And that just means that it happened. I mean, it's not just Scripture that, that speaks to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and it's not just Scripture that speaks to the reality, even though it may say something different, the reality of this, that the tomb was empty. And so the central event in the story of the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And even having said that, I, I, I would argue and submit to you this morning that the central event in human history that every single one of us has to do something with is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, it, have fun talking about creation, whether it's old earth, new earth. and I mean, I mean there's a lot of different things in uh, you know, parts of Christianity that you can talk about and, and you can debate. And even in Christian circles, there's some differences among some of those type things. But what every single Christian that, that's truly born again has to agree on, at least one of the things that they have to agree on, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The truth of Christianity lives or dies on the resurrection. And so, if you're here this morning, and I don't, I don't think this is anyone's heart that's here this morning, but if you're here this morning and you want to falsify the Christian message, just prove that Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead. Because if you can do that, or if that had been done, this gathering this morning and every single gathering that's ever been in the name of Jesus has been a complete and utter waste of time. And so it is an actual historical event. But if it isn't, then you can dismiss us Christians as fools. There have been many times throughout history that the resurrection has tried to be disproven or that some of God's people have come to um, the uh, sometimes famous and very powerful crowds to argue on behalf of the resurrection. And, and I don't know that there's one that is more important than the one that we see in Acts chapter 17. So you probably are sitting in 1 Corinthians 15, which is awesome. Save that spot and flip over to Acts chapter 17. And what I want us to do is I want us to pretend. I want us to pretend that, that we live in the time that is about 25 years after the death of Jesus Christ. And we live in Athens, Greece. And what the culture was like, specifically the religious culture at that time, is there were a lot of pluralists, which means that there were a lot of different gods worshipped. There were a lot of different religions. And, and, and this is important. Most of them were welcomed. And, and so in Athens, and I, I encourage you in, in your spare time to read through Acts chapter 17, there were these 
philosophers that gathered on a regular basis to discuss all of these different religions. And, and the Word even tells us that one of the things that excited them the most was hearing something new. Some, some new revelation, some new truth. And, and Paul had spent his time at, at, in, in ministry in these settings where these philosophers would gather and he was arguing on behalf of Christianity, but specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they say, hey, who is this babbler? This man obviously is passionate about what he believes. And so let's bring him before us to listen. So, so imagine that you're one of those people. You're a man or a woman that loves to discuss religion. You love to hear about the religious experience of people from all over the world. For you, it's fascinating. And sometimes, because you're a pluralist and you welcome any and all, air quote, truths, you can even learn something to incorporate into your own life to help you get along better with your God and your truth or your religion. And remember, for you, there's nothing better than a new experience. I want you to pick up with me because this is the setting in Acts chapter 17. If you look at verse 19. And they took him and brought him to Aparagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. Verse 20. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Verse 21. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing of something new. So they bring Paul in and they say, let us hear it. Give us your spill. Now suppose Paul responded in this way and this was what he told them. I worship Jesus Christ. He was a Jewish teacher and a wonder worker. He performed many miracles. He lived in Palestine around 25 years ago and taught a way of love and peace. His wisdom was unsurpassed. Even in his dying, he never gave into the lower instincts of anger and revenge. Those that remember him have a very powerful memory of him. His teachings still, 25 years later, linger on in his followers. The example of Jesus Christ has had, remember this is Paul speaking to them, the example of Jesus Christ has had a tremendous influence on my life. And if you too will meditate on what he did and said, you can follow him too. Period. That's what he said. Suppose. The response would have been tolerance. A benign interest. A pat on the back a smile, a nod, maybe an amen, maybe a follow-up question. But more than likely, these religious pluralists, they would have just been thinking, well, cool, Paul has his guru, and I have mine. If it works for you, Paul, fine. You have your inner experience, and I have mine. But friends... That's not what Paul said. And if you look down at verse 31 of Acts 17, you see Paul's response. 
starting in 29, being then God's offspring, this is Paul's response, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all, key phrase, the assurance comes how? By raising him from the dead. And we continue. Verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. What Paul received in his response was ridicule, persecution, and not necessarily from these folks, but ultimately he received imprisonment, and death because these philosophers are actually intelligent it might not seem like they're intelligent but they know enough about humanity and life and death to know this that if Paul's man actually did rise from the dead then we have to do something with that and so they would have been okay if Paul's response and everything about Jesus he would have said as I mentioned earlier would have been said except for the fact and the reality that he came out of the grave but that's Paul's main point point. and if you're wondering that, that that's Christianity's main point and if you are seeking and if you are searching and you want to understand Christianity and know more about the, the Christ of the Bible the resurrection and I could be wrong here but just in my humble opinion is a really good place to start to start seeking to start investigating. The Athenians mocked Paul because he believed that Jesus was alive. Ultimately, Christianity is offensively unique in an age of plurality, which we live in today, like they had in Greece in, these, in, in, in the first century. It's offensive because of what it claims about itself and what it claims about its Lord and that He is alive so for us everything hangs on a marvelous fact in history that jesus christ today is alive christianity does not hang on subjective feelings in our hearts it hangs on historical verifiable truth and fact. Now, this service, I would like for us to direct our main attention to 1 Corinthians 15. I think it's important for us to set the stage to be sure that you're clear as to where we come from and where Scripture comes from, and that we're not talking about a fairy tale. This isn't some mystical uh, religion that just sort of morphs into other religions we believe what the bible teaches about itself is that this is the way to the father this is the source of truth and so in first corinthians 15 14 through 20 we will see specifically if you're a christian this morning how the resurrection has impacted you all right and, and if you're not a christian this morning and you're wondering you will see lord willing specifically how the resurrection can impact you 
Now, I want you to acknowledge if these things are important to Christianity. Preaching. Maybe I shouldn't have asked you all that. Kind of put you, I put you on the spot. It's like my wife saying, do I look great? Oh, of course you look great. And that's the answer every time. Preaching. Faith. Truth. Forgiveness. Hope. Are those things important to Christianity? Yes. Vitally important to Christianity. And so what we see in these few verses is how the resurrection has made all of these mentioned a reality and a truth for us to by faith believe. So 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read from verse 12 to verse 20 and then we'll slow down. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep, that's died, in Christ have perished. If in Christ we hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And so the first thing that I want us to see in Paul's argument here. Now, now you might have noticed that he expresses all of these things in a negative way. And so I'm going to flip it a little bit and try to express them in a positive way. And, and, and he begins with his argument that because of the resurrection, what the apostles or what those that wrote the New Testament preach and teach, it is true. And so the negative way to say that is if Christ had not raised from the dead, then all of these men, including himself, were bearing false witness about God. And so the flip side to say it positive, because Jesus resurrected, because Jesus is alive, therefore, everything that the apostles teach, everything that we read in the New Testament and the Old Testament for that matter, but specifically here, the apostles, is true. We dealt with this a little bit last week. If you were with us, you remember. We are in the book of Ephesians right now, and we were in Ephesians chapter 4 where it talks about one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And we talked about what Christian unity looks like specifically around faith. Faith speaks to content. Faith implies content. And so we use faith generally in a, in a, a, a pluralistic age where everybody's truth can just be their truth and we welcome all of their truth which is not what the bible does but in in our culture and in our age similar to first century athens where everything is welcomed truth is what you would call relative if it's true for you it's true for you if it's true for me it's true for me but what the bible claims about it about itself and, and the words of jesus and therefore the words of his apostles because he has resurrected is that every word that he spoke and every word that they spoke in his name is absolutely true. And so the opposite of relative truth is absolute truth. 
Absolute truth is true anytime and anywhere. Whether we like it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not. In fact, Jesus himself came into the world to say this in John 14, 6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And friends, to be clear, it's that kind of talk that got Jesus put on the cross. Ultimately, it was God's plan. But, but that's what the world hates about Christianity. There is an exclusiveness, not in the sense of who Christ welcomes. There's an exclusiveness in the sense of this is the truth. And everything else must submit to this as the truth. So the Bible is our absolute truth source. And, and so Paul argues, so if, if Christ is alive, and he is, then he has the right to tell us what is absolutely true. Again, he argues because he was raised from the dead. He, he came out of the grave. Second, what we see because of the resurrection is that the object of our faith is solid because of the resurrection of jesus there is someone we can trust absolutely and so what i mean by object of our faith it means this like if you say you have faith and that means that your faith is in something or in someone and so in christianity the object of the christian's faith is jesus christ and therefore because he's alive there is Stability. It, it's a trust and it's a faith that's not futile, which means useless or empty. Now, again, to be clear, faith in Jesus is not futile. It's not useless and it's not empty. But faith in anything other than Jesus Christ is futile, is useless, and is empty. And it would be those things about Jesus if he had not what? resurrected and so because of the resurrection we can have a faith that's solid and friends i believe that that deep in the heart of every person is a longing for someone that you can count on through thick and thin someone who is absolutely trustworthy someone who if you put your faith in him it would not be in vain we all want to know that our ultimate hope is in someone or something that will not let us down. Someone who will always be there. And I know this longing is in your heart, even if I don't know you, because it's how we were made. It's how God made us. God made us in His image, and God made us to worship. God made us to celebrate what is true, and to glorify Him as the one true God. And, and, and so whenever we don't trust Christ or we haven't trusted Christ, it doesn't mean that we all of a sudden aren't worshiping. It doesn't mean all of a sudden that we don't have faith. No, it means this. It means that you do have faith and you are worshiping. And it may be yourself or maybe your spouse or maybe your children or maybe your job or maybe your money. And none of those things are evil. And so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm saying we were made to latch on to something to hope in. And what Paul's teaching here is because Jesus Christ is alive, 
He's what you grab a hold of. He's solid. He's a place to put your feet. It's rock. It's not shifting sand. And everything else from religions to earthly things that we want to trust in and what we want to have hope in will pass away. And so because Christ is alive, the object of our faith, which is Jesus, it's solid. Next, in verse 17, we see that we have forgiveness. But again, notice how Paul says it in the negative. And if Christ, this is verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your what? In your sins. And so, again, if God holds our sins against us, and He could, there is no hope of anything else from God. If we're still in our sins, and God had no plans to forgive us, we never get to Him. Because we can't. We can't on our own. We can't in and of ourselves. We all, the Bible teaches, have deeply offended him because he's way up here. Like, he is very, very holy, and we're not. And so, like, my arms aren't long enough. I'm a medium-sized dude, like, to show the chasm that is between us and the Lord because of our sin. And, And so sin, and I know you may not like hearing it. I know it's not popular. Like, I get that. But I want you to know the truth. Sin is what has separated us. It's what has broken our relationship in union with God. And so we have to be forgiven. And Paul says that if Christ has not been raised, then that's where you are in your sins. And that's where you'll stay, is in your sins. But Christ has been raised. And and so the foundation for every other blessing from God is that God would not hold our sins against us. Please listen to me. Like That's the main thing that we need from God. All the other blessings that we get from Him in, in, in sort of a common way that we enjoy in this life, those are great, those are wonderful, but none of those mean that we're saved. None of those mean that we have actual hope. What we have to have from the Lord is, is forgiveness. Everything hangs on forgiveness. And, and if the burden of our sin loomed, We wouldn't have joy. We wouldn't have peace. And we wouldn't have hope. And and, and so I know that we tend to think of forgiveness as it only relates to, say, like Good Friday or or the cross of Jesus Christ. But look at what Paul said in Romans 4.25. Speaking of Jesus, who was delivered up for our transgression and was raised for our justification. Justification in its simplest form is being right with God. To be justified means that we as a sinner, and if you want to think of it as a courtroom, we as a sinner can enter into God's courtroom without guilt, without shame, with no chance of condemnation in our future, with no chance that our sins could resurface somewhere in eternity's future unforgiven. To be justified before God means not that your sins were swept under the rug, not that they're floating around in outer space. It literally means that your sins were placed on the back of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago at Calvary. He took the punishment. He took the shame. He took the condemnation. Then he was placed in a tomb. And if he had not come out of the tomb, all, everything else he said was useless and we would still be in our sins. But because he came out of the tomb, we have 
justification before God. We are clean if you have trusted him. And so the resurrection has impacted our lives, if you're a Christian, deeply. Next, we see in verse 19 that our lives mean something. And that may be an odd way to say it to you, but if you look down with me in verse 19, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I mean, we don't really talk that way, right? We don't, I mean, you may. I, I, I don't hear people or I don't use the word pitied very often. I, I mean, I think of Mr. T, right? I pity the fool, right? <laughs> And so Mr. T and Paul are the two people that I've noticed use this word more often than I do. But who wants a life that's pitied? And here's the deal. Whether you realize it or not, right? The only thing worse than knowing your life is pitiful is living your life haphazardly not knowing it's actually pitiful. But because Jesus is alive, our lives mean something. And if Christ is not raised, then living for Him, obeying Him, following His will, listen, it's a great delusion. It means nothing. And we should be pitied, and we should be mocked. If Jesus is in His tomb, every one of us right now in this moment should be pitied. Because we believed a lie. But Paul says, since he has been raised and is alive and reigns as king forever, all of our obedience, all of our love, all of our suffering, all of our commitment to follow Christ and, and heed to his commands is not to be pitied. It's all working toward a glorious end. That means that because Jesus is alive, it, it, it doesn't mean, let me say it this way, it doesn't mean that our lives are going to be wonderful all the time, every time. And there's a lot of families here. And so if you're, a, if you're a married couple and your marriage is wonderful all the time, every time, before you leave, let us get your name and number. And, and we're going to sign you up to teach classes on how to do that. Like if we're honest and not putting up a facade, we know we know that we struggle. But what the Bible teaches us is that even in our struggle, even in our suffering, we have a God who's using those things to achieve. That's the, that's, that's the language of the Bible in 2 Corinthians 4, to achieve a greater glory, a greater good. And so that means even our darkest moments and the biggest questions that we have, even though they seem so vain and they seem so purposeless because of who God is they have purpose and they have meaning none of that's true if Christ isn't alive so Christ is risen and everything done in his name by his strength and for his glory it's not in vain there, there's some ladies over here right now that are taking care of little babies and they're wiping honeys and they're cleaning up messes and look, it seems small, it seems menial, but because Christ is alive, no work done in Jesus' name is small. It's eternal, it's valuable, and it's significant. 
Who wouldn't want that? But it only comes through Jesus Christ. Lastly, and we got to wrap up. Death. Death has no grip on us. I'm going to say that again. That's the, so I think you're tracking. That's the amen. All right. Death. Death has no grip on us. If there is no resurrection, then we either become nothing or worse. We're damned. Did you notice what Paul says in verse 20? Not in verse 20. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep, that's those who have died in Christ, have perished. Again, he says it in a negative way. So yeah, if, if Christ is dead, then all of our loved ones that have gone before us, that claimed faith in Christ, guess what? They're dead too. Like dead, dead. But because Christ has been raised. Because Christ has been raised. Those who have trusted him. According to John 11, in Jesus' words, never really died. Now listen to me, listen, listen. If you have a mother, or a father, or a grandparent, or a child, or a friend, who has left this earth, that trusted in Jesus Christ, death was a doorway to an experience that means that they're more alive now than they've ever been. They're not dead. They're alive. Jesus coming out of the tomb means that our biggest enemy as humans, being death, has been defeated. It's really hard to celebrate at funerals, but if I go before y'all go, fight for it. Fight for it. Because of Jesus and because of his resurrection, we have hope. The graveyard is not the end. It's not the end. Those in Christ live forever. The way Christ lives forever. When Christians die, they enter into the joy of their master. And there is no greater hope. There is no greater news. And brothers and sisters, without the resurrection, none of this is true. The preaching is in vain. Our lives are to be pitied. Our faith is useless and pointless. And we might as well be at the river. Well, we wouldn't be at the river right now because the weather's terrible. But we can still gather on a Sunday morning with friends and family. And we can celebrate even though it's gloomy because Jesus Christ is alive. And if you're a Christian today, there's nothing that will come your way today. There's nothing that will come your way tomorrow that will ever change that reality and that truth. Everything hangs on the hope of an empty tomb. Now, I have to close. And Joseph, you can come on. There are possibly, possibly people. Well, no, let me say it this way. No. Nah. In, in, in our culture, nobody wants to reign today on your Easter bunny parade. Nobody does. You're going to go to family gatherings, and, and some of you might have maybe some rogue family member that just wants to talk about politics, religion, and everything else, and they've just been looking forward and preparing for this moment. Um, look, just stick out by the boiled eggs and eat, eat as many deviled eggs as you can. 
And that way, when they do come to talk to you, you'll be prepared for them. But here's my point. We can be confident in why we celebrate today. We can be confident. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not just something that has spiritual meaning for me and you or something that may or may not be true. It's something that is historically verifiable. It's real. It's true. And many people through the ages, and Satan himself know, if that can be disproven, they got us. The best attorneys in the world couldn't disprove the reality that Jesus is alive. And so, my plea for you today is that if you haven't, trust Him. Trust Him. It's not a gimmick. It's not a hoax. I haven't been dancing up here trying to get you to laugh or tell jokes or I mean, I'm not going to emotionally manipulate you in this moment. You have seen the truth about Jesus Christ this morning. Our work is done. And now we close asking you to fix your eyes and your heart by faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting. Trusting that He took your place at Calvary. That the forgiveness that you need and I need, He offers. And He's the only way to receive it. And so looking to Jesus means looking to the only one who can save. We're going to see some children baptized in just a second. So if you think it's rocket science, you're wrong. Wrong. It's simple enough for a child to believe and know and understand. So in Jesus we know the truth we have a strong object of our faith and we have forgiveness of sins and if you don't know him I, I would love to talk with you more I don't have a magic wand there's no gold dust that's going to be falling like I, I can't I have no powers to do anything in regards to that but what I can do is I can pray for you and I'm, I'm willing to commit time we have elders and, and, and other leaders here that will commit time throughout the week that if you have questions we'll sit down and we'll open the Bible together and we'll try to walk you through what it looks like to trust in Jesus Christ so if that's you today, please don't leave here without us getting your information so that we can talk now or we can talk later. But for the believers, we have a tremendous amount to celebrate and to be confident in. So in these final moments, I pray that the redeemed of the Lord in this place, that we say so through song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray in these final moments that you are glorified above all else. It's in Christ's name. Amen. You can stand for worship. We'd like to thank you for listening to the sermon audio from Covenant Church at Tuscaloosa. If you have any questions or would like to know more about our church, you can visit our website at www.covchurchtusk.com or you can email info at covchurchtusk.com. God bless.